Welcome to episode 378 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. The sky comes falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. It's time for more Armor of God. Great. Let's rock. <laughs> Already we're starting off with an episode where the excitement is palpable. I feel it. You obviously feel it. The listeners feel it. So that's coming. And actually, we're still, I would say, really at the beginning of the whole thing. So if you're finding us for the first time, welcome. And you can listen back to the last couple of episodes where we've been kind of setting up. It's more than prolegomena. We've been doing some legit setup. We said, here all these pieces are coming, but the pieces are representative. The pieces are talking about what it means to put on Christ and so I'm excited as we get into like the little various components, but I, I think we're going to do it like, of course, we're always doing this in our own way, but we're going to probably do it in maybe a way that is different than anybody expects. So that's just like a little tease. That's what we do, right? We tease you at this part in the podcast. And then we say, let's do affirmations and denial. So what are you affirming with on this episode? So uh, this is like an, an ongoing affirmation and it's because the software that I love is just continuing to add features and get better. So Ooh. I've become, um, I used to use obsidian pretty heavy for my note taking and I still use it for some things. Um, but I've begun to try to shift over to notion for my note taking. So we've talked about how they introduced sort of general AI and then they introduced this feature called right. QA, which kind of like combs all of your notes and is able to interact. AI's inter interacting with all of your notes when you ask questions. And they recently um, they recently launched their calendar feature. So now it'll synchronize with your Google Calendar and it has a full featured calendar interface. And honestly, like when you first look at it, it looks just like Google Calendar, but it's syn synchronized and integrated in with Notion now. So you can utilize it. Your the Notion AI, I believe, will interrogate your calendar as well now when you ask it a question. You can link your notes to your events. You can actually either put your notes directly in your events, or you can link to databases that you have in your Notion, um, your Notion database, Notion notebook, whatever you want to call it. So I like every week when we do an episode, I have a note or an entry in Notion for the episode. And I use some of the AI features to help me with things like episode descriptions, keywords, et cetera. And now I can actually like integrate that right into my calendar, which isn't the hugest deal in the world. But like if you were a student and you're taking classes, you could integrate your notes directly into your calendar. So it's all in one spot that's easy to find. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's free. If, if you use Notion, I believe Notion's free. You can, you'd have to pay for like the AI features, but Notion itself is free. This is built right into it. If you're using Google Calendar, it's already basically set up. You just have to hit OK. Um, and it's a it's a full-featured calendar app. Um, has all the same basic features you would have with Google Calendar. But it, like I said, it's integrated into your Notion database. And honestly, it's a, it's a little bit prettier. I like it. I like the setup better than I like Google Calendar, which is saying a lot because Google Calendar is a great product. It's pretty legit. Yeah. Yeah, That's you have me at the word interrogate. Let's get some software that interrogates my calendar, like really gets everything out of it. That feels like a good, uh, like a good IPO sort of like, that's like a good platform, like an advertising platform for a new calendar app. 
to be like, that's the tagline. We interrogate your calendar. I would love an I would love an AI utility that actually does interrogate your calendar and like points out where you have stupid crap on your calendar that you don't need. Yeah, it does seem like a weakness, right? Like that's a gap somebody could write some programming to really fill. It's like trying to help you understand, synthesize all things that are going on in your life and maybe point you out to where there's like weaknesses or lack of efficiency, stuff like that. Or you just use it in like a weird way. It'd be yeah. like do you know that you don't really need seven huddles per week? <laughs> That's like the newest thing in business is, is huddles instead of meetings. You do instead of doing like a one hour meeting once a week, you do like five or six, 15 minute huddles yes. a week. And it's it. I, I understand why it works the way it does. And it's got some utility, but it's a lot. I have on a regular basis at work, I have three 15 or 20 minute huddles every day. And most of those expand out to 30 minutes. So that's like an hour and a half every day of just huddling. It's crazy. Yeah. So we've talked before, maybe, sorry, let me just say it this way. I've talked before <laughs> about how I really dislike some of like this weird colloquial language around like daily worship. So it might be like devotions or quiet time. Again, there's nothing wrong with those terms. I just like, they're not my jam and I just feel like they get used a lot. And it's always like this kind of like hyper spiritual or like kind of like mystical way. Like what's your quiet time? Like be like, <laughs> it's silent. I don't know. What are you talking about? You know, like why do we call it that? Uh, why, why can't my quiet time be like loud praise of God? Anyway, so you're going to get me started on something, but I feel equally strong about the number of different synonyms there are for those types of meetings. So my organization, we get a lot of like, oh, we're having a stand up. Like, okay. Which is like code to say like, it's short enough that you should be able to stand, except that those meetings end up going for like 45 minutes, then your feet are sore. So it, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. So I'm totally with you. Like there's, or like one-on-ones, which is, which is not bad, except that I'll sometimes see in somebody's calendar. It's the way that they express that or like actually codify it, write it out is one column one, which as a math person is like, that's just one-to-one. That's not one-on-one. -on -one. That's a ratio. That's not an actual express. And then just super weird. So there's like an equal number of like just weird colloquialisms yeah. for like what it means to have a short meeting with a relatively small group of people that's supposed to be like fast-paced and like really productive. And I would say, at least in my experience, like nine out of 10 times, it's actually not filling that purpose. Yeah. Like, does it actually work in your organization? Um. Yeah, the, the way that we're doing our huddles, I don't know if it works in our organization, but in the like little group of people that I'm interacting with, you know, we we get these um, patient complaints that need resolution. Some of them involve all sorts of stuff. I won't get into details, but like it involves sometimes some pretty significant um, responses needed to the complaint. So we huddle to go over like the high priority cases that need immediate responses. And so we have like we have senior leadership, executive leadership that comes to our huddles. So when I need something to happen right now, I have access to like the vice president of quality assurance. And then he just makes a phone call and it it's taken care of. So in in my context, I think the huddles actually do work. We're trying to we're trying to like pare them down to maybe like three times a week instead of seven times a week. But um but yeah, there's a lot of, I remember I used to do a team, like a morning huddle when I worked in the kidney transplant program and it was like, everyone would go around the circle. There's like 15 of us, everyone would go around the circle and share what you're working on for the day. And it's like, well, it's great that I know what the social worker's working on, but it doesn't do anything. Like it doesn't affect my work at all. 
I don't have any involvement in that. I don't do anything with that part of the business. And he doesn't do anything with the scheduling part of the business. So why does he care? And why do I care? Uh, Other than to build a little bit of like team building of knowing what's going on. And there's some value in that. But those huddles would sometimes take like 30 minutes to do. And I'd be listening to the phones ringing. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be answering the phone. That's my job. Right. So they can definitely get in the way. Um, But yeah, I don't even remember how we got on this topic. I think we were talking about AI (laughs) telling us that huddles are stupid. Yeah, it was definitely me that escalated this because (laughs) just the language cracks me up. Like all all I want to ask when I hear that is like, and what kind of American football plays did you guys run after that huddle? Well, I mean, in our context, it kind of makes sense because we're actually like figuring out what's going on and like issuing orders and directions for how to like resolve it. So tackling the patient issues yes exactly and the patients sometimes <laughs> you're gonna go there and i love it we don't tackle patients usually we leave that to the security teams <laughs> uh amazing I, there's one thing we can say for certain and that is anybody that ever listens to us i would say with a great deal of certainty has to admit they have no idea where we're ever going to go I, we don't have any idea where we're going to well, go that's what i'm saying yeah because we don't huddle before the episode we don't huddle we, honestly this is why i would love ai to come at me because like in this podcast like go ahead do your worst here you're not going to find like you'll find some patterns but then you're always going to find the hey brother but after that who knows where it's going to go I feel like Notion would beg to differ. I'm in the process of How dare you, getting Notion. transcripts for all of our old episodes into my Notion database. And I'd really like to see what it can do when it has the whole corpus of our entire work in, like the, in the AI. Maybe it'll become like, like a secret third co-host and it just it'll just start to talk. Yeah, that's great. Or what it's going to say is this is clearly a healthcare podcast. If only because we say it's a healthcare podcast with some frequency. It's true. We talk about healthcare a lot, and that's why we're a top 50 healthcare podcast. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Jesse, save us from this this uh, from this uh, excursus here. I think actually this is a really good compliment to yours. You had a lot of like new technology, the cutting edge, what's going on, how we're applying this new information, new technologies into our lives, which is all, I think, amazing and worthy of being explored. I'm just going to bring us back. I'm going to kick it old school here for a second and go back to like an old technology that I think is really profound. I think sometimes like we get so used to the things that are just part of our world that they somehow become less magical in the way in which they can influence our lives and the fact that we can just take care of them and use them and take advantage of them all at the same time. So this all happened because at about like four o'clock I was reading and my wife came up to me and she said something like, I was thinking about going to the library and I just said, yes, I will go with you. And she's like, I'm not sure if I want to go. And I was like, maybe I would get some cookbooks. And I was like, I will definitely go with you. And she was like, you know, I don't, I mean, you don't have to go. I wasn't sure if I really wanted to. And I was just like, I will go with you to the library. Anytime somebody invites me to the library, I will go. And I was just talking to her about this recently because I had to replace my card there. And I was like, how amazing is it if you live in a part of the world, and many of us do, where you go to this building that they have all of these books, and all you have to really have is like a face and an address, and they will let you take the books away, like from the building. You can put them in your car and take them home, and then you can read them for almost any length of reasonable time, and then you return them, and you can get more out. So 
I'm just affirming libraries yet again. I know I've done this before, but I was just so amazed at like what a corpus of information, what a body of knowledge is at my local library, like fiction, nonfiction, history, economics, finance, philosophy. And my library is like not particularly large, but it's part of a system. And I was just like combing through the stacks today, finding all these things I wanted to read and I had no time. Not to mention the least of which, which I find amazing, is that now the library has technology. And I'm sure this is probably true for most people's libraries, but my library is recently, one, we have like a super awesome and amazing app. So like your library card, everything is like on the app and you just basically go in and you can take out books. Like they're just throwing books at you. Like, please take these home and read them. But it has like RFID for like the checkout and there's a self-checkout, which is kind of sweet. So like my wife had like literally a stack of like seven cookbooks and I was like, are you going to the desk? And she's like, I'm going to self-check this out. And I was like, yeah. So like you just go to the self-checkout. It's a desk. You put them on this pad and immediately it senses all the books and it just says, here are all your books. Like I'm, I'm talking about like there is no time between when you set the books down and it says, here are your books. Yeah. And I was just like, the whole thing is magic. I was like, they're giving us books to read and it barely takes any effort to take them away. And they become part of our history. They know where they're at. So my word, loved ones, if you don't have a library card, no matter what age you are, no matter what like your family circumstances, where you have kids and you don't, like there are books for everybody. Not to mention the fact that, I don't know how you feel, Tony, but I love a good library. The vibe of the library, yeah. like in my library has like chairs. They have like those recessed window, like reading areas. My word, that vibe is amazing. Like I've gone to the library just to like read and study because there's just something about it. So libraries generally, everybody, go to your library, find your library, become part of your library, support your library, go take out books from your library, go read in your library. The library is an amazing gift that God has given us. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. I, th I think it was maybe Amazon that was toying around with um, like clerkless stores where you it wasn't oh, yeah. even a yeah it yes. wasn't even like a pad that you set the product down on it just was like out. you just walk out and it somehow it knows who you are it's got you associated with your account your amazon account right. you just walk out the door all the products are sensed by rfid and it just charge it just like assigns it to your amazon account and bills you right so i i don't know how they know you're you like i don't know if you have to wear like a special bracelet like is is this the mark of the beast maybe but um, the they have to put you have to put a microchip in your left hand or your forehead. Um, we love you, all of our dispensational brothers and sisters. Don't add us, um, and you couldn't add us anyways because we're not on social media, so it's fine. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a cool idea. It's cool technology, and I'm all about it for the library. Just like you, just take the books, just take them home, take all the books home. And this is the crazy part: like most libraries don't even do late fees anymore. Right. Yeah. Like they're like, bring the books back, please. Right. Please. Can you, can you please bring the books back? And you're like, eh, maybe. And they're like, okay, well, we hope you do. We'd really like it if you'd bring them back, but you know, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I, I should say maybe I oversold it. I do have to like at least scan my library card. So that's how they know that it's me, but it's the beauty of like, you just drop a stack of books. Like there's nothing more satisfying in my opinion. That's like, boom, here are my books. And they're like, yes, they are your books. Now get out of here. Yeah. You know, that's, that's all it takes. Like, no, no, like you remember like the old days where somebody would like individually check you out or like maybe even scan each one, like open the cover, yeah, find the barcode or turn it over. None of that. So Do you remember the days when they used to have to like stamp the card. Yes. Yeah. It was like, 
Yes. It was like a credit card scanner. It was like, so those are great sound effects. There's a great scene in like Indiana Jones. What is that? Like uh, the last crusade or something like that. I think that's what it is. I don't know. The library, like the stamp scene. Oh man. Yeah. Everybody's, somebody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. I remember that. They'd have to stamp the little card in the back. You'd have to put your name would be in this little card. You could see all the people who took it out before you. Yes. Privacy wasn't a thing anymore. No, there's, listen, there's no book HIPAA. Like I remember, and you'd find somebody that you knew and you'd be like, look at this, look yes. at this. Like it'd be like the most amazing thing. Like so, so-and-so I know actually took this out. I think that's them. I, yeah. So. I don't remember which book it was, but so my, my siblings, um, you've met, um, you've met my, my oldest sister. I don't think you've met my brother or my other sister. Um, but they're like many, many years older than me. I was, I was my, um, from my father's second marriage and my, my oldest sister is 21 years older than me. And I think my younger sister is probably like eight, 17, 18 years older. I don't know if it's on my head, but, um, but we all went to the same elementary school and I remember like, I was probably in like third or fourth grade and I remember picking up a book and looking and seeing it with the card. I mean, this must not have been a terribly like uh, circulated book. But the card actually had my older brother's name on it from like it's like nine, like twenty years earlier wow. in the book, and I remember just seeing that. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" It was like a time capsule. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, books are awesome. So definitely go and enjoy some books. Go find out again to have access to like all this literature for free. And yeah, libraries are great. They're such an important part of the community. And like we went to the library this afternoon, like about an hour before it closed and it was still like hopping. And I was just impressed. I'm actually really impressed when I go to the library. I was there a couple of weeks ago on like a Tuesday or Wednesday evening, like a random weekday. And, you know, of, of course they have like uh, several programs during the week, but the amount of, of uh, parents there with young children, I just loved that. Like oh, the, yeah. the children were picking out books. They loved the experience of being able to go and pick out the books that they knew they're going to take home and read with their families. To me, there's something joyous about that. So yeah. yeah, definitely check it out if you haven't before. I know it's an oldie, but I hope it's a it's a goodie. So it's it's time to turn a little bit negative. So what are you denying against? So this is um, maybe a little bit more ethereal. There's a specific thing that has sparked that. I'm denying when Christians accept heterodoxy okay. for the sake of unity. And, okay. and what I mean by that is I think we all recognize, um, right? So there's, I want to be careful how I say this. There's like primary issues, things that if you disagree on this, you're not a Christian anymore, right? That's heresy. Yeah. And then there's things where like you can disagree and somebody's right and somebody's wrong or both people are wrong, but when it doesn't even really rise to the level of what we normally call error. Like I wouldn't, I would say that, Baptists um, are wrong about the mode and recipient of baptism, but I wouldn't call a Baptist who holds to, you know, otherwise totally Orthodox Protestant theology. I wouldn't call a Baptist an, an in error or like a, a right. false teacher or of something like that. Of course not. I don't know what cat what we call that category. It's not really a difference of opinion, but it's it's also not heterodoxy. I wouldn't say that Baptists are heterodox. Heterodoxy is like a serious mistake that doesn't rise to the level of orthodox of of heresy. So it doesn't it doesn't make you not a Christian, but it's also something that we would say really should not be taught, and we won't want anyone to. So like I would say, Arminianism is a heterodox teaching, right? Or there's certain certain perspectives on um, 
like eschatology that I might say are heterodox teaching, right? I'm not going to say anything specific other than Arminianism, but what we often see is because that, I think that line between those second two categories, like the not quite just a theological opinion, but not quite heterodoxy and heterodoxy, the line between those two positions is so porous. We often accept heterodoxy for the sake of unity. And I'm I'm going to bring up a specific example just because I think it illustrates the point that I'm trying to make well. So Owen Strahan, who we all know is, I, I, I want to say, I, I have never met the guy. I've had a couple one-on-one interactions with him, but I think he is a Christian brother. I think he loves the Lord. I don't think he is, uh, I don't think he's a heretic. We've talked about that phrase specifically. I do think that EFS is heresy, but I don't think he is a heretic. There's a really good episode. I'll try to find the, the link and, and maybe put it into the uh, show notes. Um, there was a, a podcast. It's a particular Baptist podcast. I think it's called Particular Pilgrims. They go through like historical uh, particular Baptists. So most of this is people who are coming from England. And there was a, an episode they did about like the definition of a heretic. And it had to do with Thomas Collier and all sorts of stuff in Baptist history. And one of the points they made is that not everyone who is a heretic, not everyone who holds to heresy is a heretic. Some people are well-intentioned right. and they're, they're in error. They're making a mistake. They don't understand the implications. I don't know which of those things I would put Owen Strahan in, but I would say Owen Strahan falls in that category. Someone who holds to a heretical view, but is not himself a heretic. Well, Owen just published a book with PNR Publishing. I don't remember the exact title, something about a warrior. It's basically like a biblical theology of uh, it. It the the pub like publicity blurb says it goes beyond just merging or wedding Christus Victor and penal substitution. I I haven't read the book, so I don't know how successful it is. But it it's a more of like a, a biblical theology that shows that the victory of Christus Victor is accomplished by the penal substitution of Christ. Like it's, it's not just emerging. It's, it's more of a progressive thing, not progressive in like the liberal sense, but like progressive revelation thing. Um, I get very frustrated with, uh, with, and there's PNR is a fine publisher. Um, they make their books available to us to do reviews and to, to help us with things if we ask them to, um, but you can't find a publisher that doesn't fall into this category. Crossway does it. Zondervan does it. Um, even Banner of Truth has some stuff that I would say they 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 publish stuff by some people that I'm like that's a little bit questionable. Um, people who have who have written systematic theologies that uh, decry EFS essentially as heresy. Uh, also will endorse a book written by Owen Strahan, who is one of the most vocal, um, well-known proponents of EFS. So I'm not saying that like anyone who holds to a view that's heterodox or heretical should just be like cast out of the kingdom and shunned into oblivion. But I'm really, I'm really, really frustrated when I see Otherwise, doctrinally sound groups, organizations, publishers, conference promoters, whatever, otherwise doctrinally sound entities linking hands with and promoting the theology of someone who teaches such such a bad theology. So I don't know where to go with that. I'm sure there would be, would be people that would say I fall into those categories in one way or another, and I guess that's fine. But um, it's frustrating when like you have someone like 
I'll just say like Joel Beakey, who his systematic theology is very clear that EFS is not a not a um, acceptable position. Um, yet Joel Beakey seems fine with promoting things like Owen Strahan's book or John Piper's book. Like John Piper has some really squirrely theology that we've talked about in the past. So I don't I don't want to get into like the like oh it's Big Eva it's the reformed you know, the gospel coalition industrial complex. I'm not into that. I don't, I think those are overblown statements, but there is something about the way that we overlook some of these really serious theological problems for the sake of like a unity in, in a, almost like a promotional sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. I hear where you're coming from in that. Although I wonder if it's like big Eva as bad as like big milk or big shoe or big oil. Yeah. I don't know. Big, um, I have no idea. I think it's hard in this case because all theology must be lived out and theology is always promulgated and perpetrated by people. And so it's really hard to tell like the interrelationships of those who are trying to be gracious, who, who are equally trying to draw proper boundaries and lines and equally trying to show the love of God to each other. Yeah. And so I, I think you're right. It just gets complicated. It's very difficult to parse out what is what? And so all we could do is decide for ourselves. It's kind of the Pauline approach to like your reasonable people wrestle with this for yourselves. Yeah. You know, it's always good to read, like we've often said, over and above your head, read challenging stuff and always read stuff that's maybe even outside the mainstream of what you feel is proper conviction because that helps to inform you. It also helps to like solidify and distill down what you believe and to refine your own conviction. So it's really challenging. And I think that sometimes what we have is like those conversations where we might like have those things with our friends. We're like, yeah, I'm like with you in that and not with you on this thing, but like, you're my friend. I love you and your brother or sister in Christ. Like that does happen at like various levels. And so those who are in like more like the kind of common space where now their lives are put in a place where it's more immediately on display. I think like if you just like took my relationship with a couple of people and like just kind of blew it up such that it was somehow in like the public eye, people would equally be like, really? You're going to support that person? I'd be yeah. like, listen, like you, you don't know like what we're talking about here. Like we are people, we all have relationships. Like it's just happening at like kind of a different level. Maybe sometimes an unfortunate level because people are looking to them to say like, well, you have to make a stronger stance and they are, but often that happens in different ways. So yeah. I think at the end of the day, like you and I have talked about, it's really about, do we have shoe leather on our own theological convictions because they're deeply rooted in the scriptures in our processing of what we believe and our prayerful consideration of what God's complete wisdom teaches us. Yeah. And maybe I should clarify, like, I'm not saying we should not maintain interpersonal relationships with those who hold heterodox views. Sure. Um, they're Christian brothers and sisters. And, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate that. Like we, we shun them. Like we're not, right. we're not at that point point of things, but I think there is a difference. And I, I guess maybe like, I'm thinking more along the lines of almost like conference, like the conference circuit kind of a thing. And, and almost like these parachurch entities, like sometimes like the publishers almost function like parachurch ministries. Yes. And I think, I think what maybe is getting under my craw a little bit is the same thing that happens with like the gospel coalition, where it's trying to be so big tent that there's no real actual doctrinal standard that mm. is being maintained. Whereas like ecclesiastical organizations, right? A local presbytery or a local Baptist association has 
confessional commitments that um, you have to hold in order to be a part of that. And I guess, you know, again, I think PNR is a fine, a fine publisher. I'm not trying to be overly critical of them, even though they've published Owen's book. And I, I think that that was probably a mistake. I'm not trying to slam them. I, I guess I understand that they're trying to reach a broad audience. And so they're going to publish a broad array of topics, but there's no, um, I, I don't know what the doctrinal standard would be to be a, a publisher and, or to be a, an author in good standing for PNR. Like if right. it's Puritan and reform or uh, Presbyterian and reform publishers, then why are we, why would they be publishing a book by a, a non-confessional uh, Baptist who uh, holds ostensibly heretical views? Right? Like, so I guess that's more where I'm getting at is like, what is, why would we want to call a publisher Presbyterian and reformed if it's not, if like, if that isn't part of the personality or the ethos or the commitment of the people that are publishing with that group, right? Crossway is like a broadly evangelical uh, with a reformed leaning publisher. So like, are they going to publish books by Roman Catholics? Uh, I mean, right. I don't know. Maybe they have published books by Roman Catholics. I don't know True. if they have or not, but it, it would be something that I guess that's like the feel that I have with this is if Crossway is a broadly reformed evangelical publishing company, um, then we would be surprised if like, you know, the patriarch of Constantinople published a book with them. And it's equally surprising to me when I see somebody like PNR publishing a book by like a low church Baptist who doesn't have any direct confessional commitment, even really to the 1689 directly. Um, It's just sort of a weird, it's like a discordant thought in my mind. And I guess it just bothers me. It's like yeah. on uh, The Office when they stopped Andy from singing the last line of that, and he's like, it feels like I'm holding in a sneeze. <laughs> That's fair. Again, those, these are like strange things, right? It's like a blessing to have yeah. publishers, websites that you feel like you can trust because they have some standards, and yet they're like private organizations. So even though they have something even in their name, they get to decide, and that can be convoluted and complicated. I'm with you. That's something that's frustrating I, yeah. for sure. Like, and I usually like most of the stuff that PNR puts out. So yeah, they're fine. And stuff like I said, it's fine. I'm it, with you. And it may be a fine book. I have not read the book. Um, I'm not sure. saying there's anything in uh, whatever I don't know the name, but in in this book that is itself heterodox. Although I think it probably has some issues, just knowing what I know about Owen's confusion in in his theology proper and in how the identity of God is formulated. I think there probably must be some stuff in there that's a little bit sideways, but I don't know that. And I'm sure it went through a fine review process. So it's not so much about that specific instance. Right. I think you could point, you could point at any, uh, any evangelical or reformed quote unquote reformed publishing house and find examples of what I'm talking about. You could go to any conference um, I think you could probably go to most seminaries and find faculty members or students at the seminary where you're kind of like this. One of these things is not like the others, right? One sure. of these things just doesn't belong. Um, and, and in this case, like what, like I said, what is a low church Baptist with ostensibly no confessional commitment doing publishing a book for a company that's called Presbyterian and Reformed? Like there are lots of publishing companies out there that he could have gone with. And I think like, um, 
Nate Pickowitz, right? Nate's been on the show before. I have a lot of respect for Nate. Nate is sort of a dispensational Baptist um, who's suddenly publishing things like he published a book with Banner of Truth. Like it just, it's just a strange. Um, it, it reminds me of that line from uh, The Incredibles towards the end of the first movie where I think his name is Syndrome. He's like, when everybody is special, nobody is. It's like, well, when everybody is publishing for you know, Presbyterian and Reformed, then nobody is Presbyterian and Reformed. And I feel like Scott Scott Clark, Reginald Clark, just jumped up and was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't have to harp on Maybe this so. any longer. I, I like this could be the show and, and we don't want it to be, but it, it just... It just, it came to my email and I was like, ah, this just doesn't feel right. doesn't feel right. <laughs> I haven't heard about Nate Pickwitz in forever. Yeah. I haven't, heard, I haven't talked to him in a long time. We should call yeah, him. I should call I him right mean, now. Let's call him. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're, I feel like let's <laughs> just call him and get him on the podcast. Kind of felt like we were having a huddle there for a second. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I'm listen. I'm willing to go along with that. I think that's as as good a denial as any, and it's helpful because I think I'm sure there are people out there that have this kind of experience all the time. And what you said is maybe emblematic of lots of different things, where you're like, you say you're this thing, and I'm trying to appreciate and use your creative material, and it seems like it's a little bit like something happens here that's slightly off, or like there's everything else is mostly cool, and then I find this one thing, and I'm like, what is this doing here? And, yeah, exactly. I mean, your reference of like which one of these things is not like the other. That's like a deep Sesame Street cut. I don't know if they still do that. I have no idea. I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've watched Sesame Street. Let's call yeah, Big Bird. Let's get him on the show right now. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's huddle our way into Ephesians 6. <laughs> what, did, did you just pull a me and skip your own denial? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm coming along with you. I, I feel like I, I don't have anything. You know, sometimes you have that strong conviction of a denial. Maybe that's what the denial is supposed to be. And sometimes you're kind of like, man, I'm on the fence with a lot of things. So that's kind of where I'm at. I don't have anything better than that. And I think that was a really nice foray into like, again, us continually trying to evaluate and discern pragmatically and appropriately and underneath underneath passing everything through the scripture, what theology means, how it is tied and tightly coupled with the scriptures. Like we should never divorce it too much. It should never just become like intellectual ideology, but it really is... God's method and mode it means for us to live out this abundant life. So I, I thought that was really great. And, and I think like, in fact, that's kind of what we're after here. We're, yeah. we're really talking about living that out because if I might like try to, I'm just, just going to try to win and preempt you before you go there and beat me. So <laughs> let, let's go to like the Heidelberg catechism. And I want to go to question 32 mainly because I think this is a good setup for us now getting into like these elements of the armor, the things that we're literally going to be putting on ourselves. We understand something about this is emblematic of putting on Christ. And then we're going to go to great lengths to see like all of this analogical language. And it's of course worth appreciating because it's there for us. It's for God's people. So question 32 of that catechism reads, but why are you called a Christian? And the answer goes something like this, because by faith, I'm a member of Christ. And so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. So I think we made this point before, but to identify with Christ, to be made alive in Christ, is at the same time you have this this volitional expression of being united with our savior is at the same time to recognize that you're willing to stand on the battle line on the battlefront because there's a target now on you because to be 
in the company to be adopted by the one who is love is at the same time to be the one that has a target from the enemy who is hate. So this is Ephesians 6. Let's, let's do this war armor now that we've been talking about. Beginning of verse 10. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Okay, now we're at verse 14. And we're just doing the first part at verse 14. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to switch this up on you, Tony, because you know that I've been waiting to, I barely get to use this translation in these words here. So <laughs> you're not going to even hear me use the word belt. So this is the NASB, loved ones. Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So that's how we begin, girding your loins with truth. Well, and that's actually, you know, one of the things um, that I was actually surprised at in, in my preparation for this, yeah. uh, the word belt doesn't exist in the Greek. Yeah. So the exactly. translation yeah. gird your loins is actually a more accurate translation than Boom. what all this like fasten on the belt of truth. And what the, t what the translation is trying to get at, and this is Again, we don't, this is like, I'm not a Greek expert. I'm not, this isn't like an exegesis podcast, but what the Greek there is getting at is it's not that you're fastening on something that is a belt related to truth. It's that you're, you're fastening belt around, you're fastening truth itself around your waist. Security. Yeah. And it's, it's not, um, you know, when we think of a, we think of a belt or we think about fastening something around our waist, we're thinking of primarily something that holds our pants up. <laughs> what, what this really is getting at is it's more like a weightlifter's belt or a belt that's someone who is, um, who is like works in a warehouse that they fasten around their, their, their midsection. Um, the word that gets translated as waist or why they talk about a belt, um, is really like, there's three main parts of a of a torso in the Greek mind. There's the shoulders, right? There's the the mid part of your chest, which we're going to cover next week. And then there's your abdomen below the ribs. And so what this passage is getting at is that we use truth or truth itself is fastened to us as a way to make us ready by giving us support and structure so that we may stand. That's why it's re like related to this first part of stand therefore, you stand by creating this structure that supports you and keeps you upright and keeps you ready and keeps you prepared to be able to do the task, to be able to withstand in the evil day. And the other thing that I think is really interesting about this passage, right? In verse 13, we have um, that you may be able to withstand. We talked about last week how that's really more of like a um, like an active, uh, offensive kind of an, a standing. It's going and gaining ground. Um, then it says to stand firm. That's a different word for stand. And so, right. so the withstand is, it's actually like exactly flipped how we might think about it when we just think about the normal English translations. Withstand is an, an histamy, right? It's actually the same. It's, I don't want to do like the root word fallacy, but it's where the word antihistamine comes from. Right. That has nothing to do with the meaning of the word. 
but it's it shares that root and it's this idea of like gaining ground. You're actually standing in opposition to something else. Histomy, which is stand, in both the end of verse 13 and in the beginning of verse 14, that's actually more of what we think of when it's like stand your ground. So in this passage, what truth does is it prevents us from losing ground. And, I, you know, we have to distinguish this, this truth from the particularity of the gospel, which comes up later in the passage. And so I, as I've been looking at this, what I think is really interesting is like each of these things that we, we don, each of these pieces of armor that we put on, it's an aspect of Christ's ministry on our behalf. So going into this, we talked about how like to put on the armor of God is almost euphemistic for putting on Christ. Right. It, that's going to become even more apparent as we work our way through these different pieces of armor. Yeah, I mean that. I think you're right on. That's why I wanted to use that translation because, to me, the irony of this is so we did like a, among the other things that I would say like the clever things we've said in all these episodes. We need another bumper sticker, which is like something like, ordinary means going to do what ordinary means do yeah. through God or by God. You know. So the irony here is like the first piece of armor, it's not really a piece of armor at all. It doesn't really offer protection. It's something of a setup. It's something yeah. of like the thing to which everything else is connected and which holds everything else firm and in place. And so for that reason, you almost have the verb in this passage, which is to gird up, informing the noun that gets translated in other, you know, in other translations. So how does one gird up? That is like if you were a Roman soldier. And of course, like Paul is using like, there's a physical and a spiritual reality that are amazingly similar here, at least in this analogical language. So for the soldier who wore all this like loose fitting outer tunic, when it came time to fight, that stuff could get in the way. You want to tie that up, gird it up, secure it so that all your armor was well fastened to your person. The way that, that happened was by a piece of equipment that brought all those things together and made sure that they were solidified. And that, of course, was some kind of belt-like construction, like you were saying that provides you with like the, the right superstructure, the right posture, as it were, to go into battle so that there was one, no distraction, and two, that you're completely confident that all the armor, everything would be in place as it ought to be. And so that's why, of course, so much of this is like talking about the belt, because like even in Western cultures, like um, here's like some insight into my life. When my wife said, like, let's go to the library, the first thing I had to do was put on a belt because like my pants were like of the situation where <laughs> I was like, if I need to go out, I should put on a belt because... I needed that security and that surety. And that really is what the truth of the scriptures are all about. Like, how can you go out into battle to fight in the way that Paul has just talked to us about where it's like, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's like these principalities against like the evil itself. Like, unless you know the truth and as Christ did in the desert, that you can use the scriptures and wield it rightly, unless you have that vibe that, you know, kind of like, I don't know how to describe it, like this sense about you that understands what it is that is truth so that you can recognize what is a lie, then everything else is for naught. And so like that really is the first piece of equipment, even though seemingly it's very simple, but that's again, ordinary means going to do what ordinary means do by God. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think um, the other element of this that I wanted to just tease out a little bit too is I almost feel like truth here is broader than just the scriptures, right? One of one of the principles that I was taught when I was learning hermeneutics was from my Hebrew professor in college, his name is Gary Long. 
And it was such a simple axiom, but it stuck with me like literally to this day, I can recite it. Difference means difference, right? If, if the, the author of a text could have said something in one way and he said it in a different way, there's a reason for that. And that's true in any sort of formal writing. Anyone who's writing something that is intended to be read and is intended to communicate another message, if they're a decent writer, there's a reason they phrase things the way they do. And even more so when it's the Holy Spirit who's inspiring the scriptures. And so we have in in this passage, we're going to talk about them in coming weeks, obviously, but there's the truth here, which I think we would, we would, um, instinctively would associate that with the scriptures. And that's a fine instinct. Then there's the shoes that bring the readiness of the gospel, which is like right. a specific part of the truth. And then there's the the scripture itself later on, the word of God later on. So the question is, why are, why do we use truth broadly here when we have these other two elements there? And it's, I think it's almost, it's almost more along the lines in my mind of like being, um, how do I want to phrase this? Not being deluded by falsehood. It's not so much like exactly. positively articulating the truth. It's like right. seeing, being, you're preparing yourself, you're readying yourself, you're girding up your loins with a sober assessment of what reality is. Yes, and I exactly. think that that's a natural transition here too, because the the previous the previous passage, sort of the intro to this, is that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Mm. We don't wrestle against human forces. We don't wrestle against natural things. We wrestle against supernatural things. And so it's, it's also, yes, the scriptures, it's, it's an understanding of the world as informed by the scriptures, but more so, I think it's a sober understanding of the nature of the battle. That's what we're girding ourselves up with is the understanding and articulating and knowing the true nature of the battle in front of us that's the piece that holds all of the rest of our armor together. Because if we lose sight of the fact that this is a spiritual battle, then all this other spiritual armor doesn't really do us any good. So, so understanding the truth that what we are, what we are up against is the spiritual forces that Paul has talked about throughout Ephesians, that these, these powers and principalities, the, the ruler, uh, the prince of the rulers of the air that literally is in like the first two chapters. He's talking about that. We were once part of that kingdom. We weren't walked into disobedience following these things. Now we no longer walk in disobedience following those things. We walk in obedience, standing firm against those things. That's the truth that we need to gird around our waist to, to secure us and to prop us up and to stabilize us for this battle. Right. I would go as so far to say, and you tell me if this is too far, that we're speaking about like the truth writ large, which includes theological precision, but that's often to your point, like exactly where we go. We say, okay, it's exclusively talking about all the things that the full counsel of God gives to us. And that of course is true, but I would say it also includes, it's no less true to say, well, it's, it's about the truth about how the way the world works, how relationships are governed, what is common courtesy, how we are to love one another and interact with one another. What even simple truths, like I would say, like common grace truths, like for instance, don't believe everything you think. I mean, like that itself is a common grace truth that is not overtly spiritual, but has like spiritual connectivity to principles that are expressed in the full counsel of God. So, like spiritually speaking, we're told in First Peter 1:13 to gird up the loins of our mind. And to me, in comparison with this passage, what we're really talking about is to pull in all these like loose ends of our thinking, to rein in our wandering mind 
so that we may be ready to enable to think clearly and discern wisely to, as we make decisions. And those decisions aren't like overtly or necessarily like spiritual or precise in their exposition of spiritual things. It could just be God tells me the truth about the world. And that truth exists like all throughout in every way that I think in every way that I judge. Yeah. And so it's not just about getting like the facts right about who God is. It's no less than that, but it's also more than that because to your point, we're going to get to like the gospel explicitly. So this is about saying like, when you go out into battle, it's seeing the world, not as it appears to be, but as it actually is all the world. And that may be things that, again, seem like not particularly spiritual, but like your relationships, your interaction with your employer. Again, I understand all these things have spiritual dimensions and they all do for the Christian, but it's also like how you drive and the way in which you interact with your spouse when you need to take out the trash. And they, again, some would say like, of course, all this thing is spiritual. And I agree with you. But from day to day, the decisions that we make, these are ways in which I think God is impressing upon us through Paul here that we really need to understand the way in which the world actually is, and he gets to, to set that. So this idea that there is a belt or something to center us, to bind all these things up so that we're ready to move, we're mobile, we're agile, is in many ways, is that you can only be agile in your mind if your mind actually knows the things that are in fact true in all areas of life, how you interact, how you think about things, the things that you read, the theology that you undertake, the actions that you promulgate in all of your life, you really need to understand what is actually true. And I think you in particular, over the course of this year, have talked so much about like philosophy in particular. There's so much there that I find in these verses that is like understand what it means like to be productive, to redeem the days, to understand what is like godly philosophy, if I can say it that way, in the way that we think, interact with others. All of that stuff is absolutely legitimate. I think it's covered here in this particular verse. Yeah. The last element of this or the last aspect of this that I would add to, and this is this is the part that you read in most of our Reformed uh, commentaries, people like Calvin or Gurnall or really any of the classic Reformed commentaries are going to approach this. They don't exclude that, like what we're talking about, but they also right. tie this to like sincerity and genuineness and yes, avoiding exactly. hypocrisy. So it's not just a matter of girding yourself up in the truth of seeing the world the way it really is, but you're also girding yourself up and you're fastening, you're fastening truth around you in that you are a person of integrity. You are a person who is what you say you are. And I think that's an element um I keep on going back to like how this has been preached, how I've heard this preached and taught in my own life. And when I, when I think about sermons or Bible study lessons or camp skits, different like elements of how this is communicated, the belt of truth ends up just being like another variation of the breastplate of righteousness or the yeah. shield of faith, right? It's just one more thing that you use to like deflect the attacks of the enemy. But in many ways, this is more like uh, this is more like the preparation that we do and our conditioning as Christians, right? This is a, this is like a soldier, a military metaphor, and one of the um, I don't remember who said it, but one of the Stoic philosophers talks about how how you should pick the younger sparring partner in a, in a military exercise because you want to you want to do your sparring against someone who's actually going to put you through the paces, because then when you go out to the battlefield then you're not you're not like huffing and puffing because you've been wasting time in your training. That's kind of the imagery here that I think we're talking about. You're preparing yourself by actually becoming the 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 warrior that God is calling you to be. 
in, in your training, in your meditation, your scripture memorization, in your prayer life, definitely in your prayer life. Like when we get to the end of this, we're going to, here's the, the, uh, spoiler alert. All of this is about prayer when you really boil it down, right? This whole thing is about prayer. Prayer is how we prepare for the battle. Prayer is how we engage in the battle. So this is about seeing the world the way it really is, understanding the nature of the battle that we're in and right. that we are, are confronting, and being the kind of person that is the warrior that God is calling to this battle. So it's, you know, it's funny. Sometimes, um, sometimes young men will be like, will ask for advice, like, how do I how do I find a wife? How do I, you know, how do I make myself appealing to, to members of the opposite gender? And the advice that I was given when I was in that phase of my life and that I've given to young men that I know have asked that question is focus on being the kind of man that a woman would be happy to marry. Focus on being the kind of man that a woman would feel safe and cared for and supported in a marriage and the rest will fall into place. In in a lot of ways, this is the same thing. Like the way that we engage the battle is to come to the battle prepared and, and f- having fastened the truth of who we are in Christ around ourselves. And that's what holds us up and prepares us and gives us the stability and structure to be able to engage in this work. Yeah, right on. It's as if like the, again, this is ordinary means in some ways, like our thinking is ordinary means, but how extraordinary it becomes when it is submitted, when it yields to Christ, when every thought is being taken captive to Christ. So to me, in many ways, this idea is that the belt of truth is like biblically saturated knowledge of all things. And when we have that by God's grace, it is the best and the proper starting point for all the subsequent equipment, because all the equipment either attaches to that or is tied up in that, or again, it gives us liberality to move around, flexibility and freedom in Christ to engage our world and to engage the enemy. We're not caught up in all kinds of entrapments, whether self-imposed or exogenous. Instead, we just understand the world as it is, as God gives it to us. And that includes like, you and I have talked about this before, this idea of when we look at the world, so much of it as Christians, especially Reformed Christians, should be influenced by passages such as Romans 1, where we understand that there is like this exchange of truth and instead to embrace a lie. And so when we go out into the world, we don't write everybody off. We don't write unbelievers off because that. So we bring them into the fold knowing that they have been taken captive by the enemy. Their prisoners were in the same way we are. And so because we see that clearly, then I think we can see, well, of course, that, that informs, informs our evangelism. It forms the way in which we interact. It influences the way and the, the emergency and the urgency with which we want to see those whom God loves brought back or brought into his fold for the first time. And so like that truth is the fundamental thing, that perspective, the right perspective. If if you lose that, it's like, I suppose going into battle without a plan, like, and without even knowing like where you are in the flank and without knowing where you are in the course of the community. So this is like, again, it amazes me that God in his infinite wisdom and using this example through Paul is starting with a piece of equipment that just seems so mundane. It seems like so unnecessary. But as with most things, like God gives this special honor to the thing that just seems so ordinary. And so we want to immediately run to the breastplates and the helmet and the sword. Like those are all super cool things and we'll get there. But guess what? Like they really don't happen. They don't have their function. They don't have their surety and security 
outside of this girding up and that girding up happens by way of this belt fastening. So it's a reminder too that, and I think you've kind of already intimated this, that we need to continually put it on. Like to be transformed by the renewal of your mind is to say that just like every day, if you would go, if you go going to work or outside, you put on the belt every day. It's not like you were like, ah, I put on the belt last week. I think I'm pretty good. You know, you do it every day. It's it's constantly being renewed and meditating and metabolizing and marinating in this truth of God, such that to your point, when you see anything in the world, no matter what it is, a circumstance, a television show, you read a book, you have an interaction, you see something at church, you read something. All of it happens like the gut reaction, the muscle memory is the truth of God because it's been enforced and reinforced by the power of the Holy Spirit by this constant meditating on God's truth. So it definitely starts with God's truth. And of course, all the world is God's truth. And at the same time, like even the way in which we should understand the weather or anything else is to know that God is shaping our minds and our perspective on those things. And so the Christian perspective should be distinctly different. That's kind of redundant, but different. And it's because the belt you're wearing, like the buckle says truth. That I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a good enough place for us to wrap it up. Again, the, these themes are going to keep cropping up as we go through this. So it's, we don't want to feel as though like these are totally hermetically sealed categories. Right. Um, and, and at the end of the day, like I said, all of these are are really just ways to talk about different aspects of union with Christ. And I'm excited as we go through the next several weeks here to sort of call out those out. Some of them are more explicit than others. Some of them are a little bit more veiled or a little bit less direct. But this is going to be, I think it's going to be just one of those series where like we're really surprised at how, how God moves us and changes us in this text. Um, just like with the the Ten Commandments series, or especially the Lord's Prayer series, it was like by the time I got by the time we got done with that, it was like surgery had happened on me, and my spiritual life was in a totally different spot. Amen. So, I'm excited. Anytime we come to God's Word, um, we can expect God to do something and to change us if we come to it with uh, humility and humbleness and an open mind and and in the power of the Spirit. So, Jesse. I'm excited to keep going on this. This was a listener suggestion. Um, so if you have suggestions for our next series, or if you want to join the conversation, you can uh, go to t.me slash reform brotherhood. That will take you directly to our telegram chat. If you don't have telegram, it'll prompt you to download telegram, but it'll take you directly there. Otherwise you can read what's been going on there. You can sort of lurk around and see what's going on before you join but it's it's one of the most friendly groups I've ever been a part of online. And again, there's a there's a sub channel there for topic suggestions. There's a group of people who are reading through uh, volume one of Jobiki's systematic theology. There's some general chat. There's a memes chat. Uh, there's an affirmations and denials area. You can uh, query our own AI bot Pete, who's not actually an AI, but we like to pretend he is. Uh, he's a, he's an actual art, uh, intelligence, not an artificial intelligence. I suppose that's still AI. But that's the best way to get a hold of us. It's the best way to interact with us. Um, there are other ways that you can go to our website and you can find. But I think if if you were to pick one way, that's the way to do it. So go to t.me slash Reform Brotherhood and join our Telegram chat. Uh, we would love to have you. Yeah, it's great. That's a great way to connect. Just have some fun. It's just fun. 
it's just fun, loved ones. If you want to come and experience something totally different, I'm just going to challenge you to type that into your browser or to your cell phone. And if you're like, I have no space in my life for another chat, I'll tell you what, this is not just another chat. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. Even I'm trying to keep up with like all the posts that are happening there because there's they're so fun. And several times I find myself like chortling yeah. at work as I try to like voraciously catch up on all the memes that have been have been put there. So and it's it's really like outside of us. It's not like a it's not like fanboying over like our conversations. It's just a group of people that are getting together and say, like, listen, I love Jesus and I, I want to connect with other people who do and that are interested and concerned about reformed theology. And again, not just in the intellectual sense, but actually living that out. So I'm with you, Tony. I'm super stoked that we get to continue to talk about this because we're always promoting about the fact that the podcast in some ways is born out of this great desire to equip the church to continue to live out theology. And here we have like all this instruction from Paul that was like, do this stuff, put on this armor. So I think we're just going to continue to find there's nothing here, but practical application that is rooted in deep and rich theology. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I think that just about does it. It's an exciting time to be reading the scripture. It's always an exciting time to be reading the scripture. <laughs> and uh, it's getting late. I can tell I'm, I'm fading fast. Yeah. My bedtime hey, is yeah. usually about 7.45 these days, and we're well past yeah, you're that. You're doing great. You're so doing great. Uh, so <laughs> I'm all distracted now. I'm all, I'm all flustered. It's going to end soon, loved ones. Here we go. Until next time, honor everyone. I <laughs> love the brother. Let's go.